I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Gospel of Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, we'll read the whole chapter. I'm going to be emphasizing especially, though, the parable of the prodigal son, as we call it. It's the only time, I think, in our speech we ever use the word prodigal. But there it is, and that's what it's known as. So chapter 15, Luke, beginning at verse 1. Listen, this is God's Word. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. 
And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. What do we mean when we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins? In the opening words of our chapter, Jesus is drawing an audience, and it's an audience made up of the undesirables, tax collectors, and sinners. The Pharisees and the religious leaders take notice. And they grumble and they say, this man receives sinners and eats with them. That's what prompted Jesus to give these parables. We know from the Gospel of Luke, this is not an isolated event. This is not the first time and it will not be the last time Jesus will be criticized for hanging out with sinners, for eating, fellowshipping, with tax collectors and sinners. Back in chapter 5, he called Levi. We heard that. Levi is a tax collector. He calls him to be his disciple. He drops what he's doing, and he follows Christ. Levi throws a great feast, and he invites all his friends who are his friends. They're tax collectors. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumble. And Jesus responds by giving the purpose of his mission and ministry, which is those who are well do not need a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then in chapter 7, two chapters later, Luke tells us that tax collectors had actually gone to follow before Jesus, John the Baptist. And they'd been baptized with him. In other words, they'd been baptized upon their repentance. And Jesus has sharp words for the crowds gathering around him. He says, John the Baptist came and he he didn't eat bread, he didn't drink wine, and you said he has a demon. Now the Son of Man comes and he eats and he drinks, and you say, look at him, he's a, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In the next story in chapter 7, as Jesus again at the home, this time of a Pharisee, he's reclining at table and a quote-unquote woman of the city comes. And she stands at his feet and she's weeping. And her tears are falling on Jesus' feet and she's wiping his feet with her hair. Again, a Pharisee complains. 
he mutters under his breath, if this man were a prophet, he would know what sort of a woman this is who's touching him. For she is a sinner. Jesus ends up saying, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loves much. She, he who has, uh, is forgiven little loves little. This woman, on the other hand, loves much. She's been forgiven of much. And then there's this other side conversation at the table where someone says, what kind of a, who is this person? What kind of a man is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus turns to the woman and says, go in peace, your faith has saved you. And then in chapter 18, after our stories today, Jesus tells another parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector who arrive at the temple at the same time to pray. And the Pharisee, you'll remember, prays, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like all these other people, people who don't this and do this, and I thank you, our God, that I'm, I'm not even like this other guy, this tax collector over there. And a tax collector in Jesus' story says, God, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He can't even look up. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man, tax collector, went to his house justified rather than that religious man. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And finally, still in the Gospel of Luke, we have that well-known story of Zacchaeus, my patron saint, short in stature. Zacchaeus climbs the tree to see Jesus. Jesus sees him, calls him down, and invites himself, or says he's expecting an invitation from Zacchaeus to come to his house for dinner. Once again, the Pharisees grumbled and said, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. You'll remember Zacchaeus responded to the gospel with a newfound obedience. And God said, today salvation has come into this house. Well, now back to our chapter. We read in verses 1 and 2, Jesus is drawing to himself an audience. And they're undesirables. They're tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees and religious leaders of Israel take notice and grumble and say, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, which is really a three-part parable, like a three-point sermon. Notice all three of the parables end with this exuberant, extravagant joy and celebration when the lost is found or restored. In fact, when Jesus was joyfully celebrating in the homes of tax collectors and sinners who he had called to himself and who had uh, found in him an, uh, the, the one who spoke the words of life, when Jesus ate and drank with them, I would argue that he was reflecting the joy in heaven over sinners repenting. Which is, remember, what Jesus said was the goal of his ministry. And so I think today we can say as we continue to develop our definition of 
biblical forgiveness, we can say this, forgiveness looks like restoration, reconciliation, and joyful celebration that follows a repentance and a return to God. Forgiveness looks like restoration, reconciliation, and joyful celebration that follow repentance and a return to God. In the parable of the prodigal son, probably better called the parable of the two sons or the parable of the two brothers, if you will, the son who goes off to live a lifestyle of sinful waste represents, here in the Gospel of Luke, tax collectors and sinners. The very ones Jesus is drawing to himself. The older brother who comes in from the fields represents the Pharisees and religious leaders who, who say to the father, after all I've done for you. Let's look more closely then at the two sons and their father. The younger son takes up verses 11 through 20. The father in verses 21 to 24. The older brother in verses 25 to 32. The younger son. You, many of you are familiar with this story. He demands his inheritance in advance. It's almost as if he's saying, I wish you were dead to his father. It's a demand filled with all kinds of significance. In effect, he is writing the lyrics to the famous Queen song, I want it all and I want it now. His father in the story complies. The younger liquefies his assets. He gathers everything he has. He takes a journey to a far country, which to Jesus' audience is code for he went to the land of the Gentiles. He went to be with other unclean people. And when he gets there, he parties hard. He squanders all he has. And, and then just as his pockets are empty, there's a famine that hits the land. And he's hungry. And if there even was food to be had, he couldn't buy it. He had no money to pay for it. So he hires himself out. He becomes a slave, a servant. But apparently he's not very well paid. His, his job description would have been shocking to uh, the Jewish audience. He's in an unclean land working for an unclean man, feeding and herding unclean pigs. And he notices the pigs are even doing better than he is. And so we get to verse 17 where there's this change. One day, Jesus says, this man, this young uh, son, comes to his senses. And he thinks this way. My father has many hired servants. All of them have more than enough bread. And I'm out here dying of hunger. I will arise, I will go to my father, I will say to him, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, treat me as one of your hired servants. He expresses his sin in both its horizontal and its vertical dimensions. I've sinned against God and I've sinned against my father. Notice he makes no excuses, there's no explanation, there's no sense of entitlement, there's no expectation or demand of a restoration that should follow this repentance. 
It's an unconditional confession of guilt, of brokenness, of humility, an express desire to throw himself at the mercy of his father. He has wasted everything his father has given him. He knows he has forfeited the right to be called a son. And if his father were to disown him as son and treat him as a servant or slave, even that would be more than he deserves, but he's going to beg for it. He got up and he did what he said he would do. This brings us to the second half of verse 20 and the second of three parts of the story. The father. As Jesus tells a story, it's as if the father has been looking out the window every day. But waiting, watching, probably praying for his son to return. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. We might have expected we would not have, uh, we would not have um, looked down on him if he had said, oh no, here comes that guy. That's not my son anymore. Or to say to him, where have you been? What have you been doing? What are you doing here? What makes you think you're welcome here? And look at you now, you're skin and bones, you have no shoes on, and you smell like pigs. The younger son begins to give his rehearsed speech. Notice how far he gets. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And we're waiting for the line, treat me as one of your hired servants, but he doesn't get to say it. His father calls out to the real servants to bring out the best robe and a ring and a pair of shoes, and he restores his son to the family. And on top of that, he gives detailed instructions about a party. Kill the fattened calf. Let us eat. Let us celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they throw a party. The son's repentance comes without reservation, without equivocation. The father's restoration comes without hesitation and without recrimination. And the restoration is marked by this extravagant celebration. There's music, there's dancing, there's feasting. And the story could end there, but it doesn't. The mood entirely changes in verse 25 when we are introduced to the third part of the story, the older son. Notice, he was in the fields. Why was he in the fields? Because he was working. He will remind us later that he was working. He comes home after a long day. As he gets to, uh, closer to the house, he hears the sounds of a party. He hears music. He hears dancing. And his initial conversation is not with his father, but he calls a servant and says, what's going on? He is told his 
brother has come. His father has filled, uh, killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. The older brother's reaction seems reasonable when you think about it. It certainly seems reasonable to religious people like we are. His younger brother, brother had squandered the family's resources. He'd gone off and brought shame to the family's name. And now he comes back and dad is throwing him a party? And not just anybody, any party, but a party to end all parties? He's angry and he refuses to go in. He's not going to greet his long-lost brother. He's not going to be part of his father's party. Notice his father's response. He entreats him. He begs him. He comes out to him and, and begs him. He goes to his older son. He urges him to come inside and celebrate. And I think we're to take special notice of the older son's response. He he views his life not in terms, of, in terms of sonship, but in terms of slavery. After all these years, notice he doesn't say, after all these years, I've been your son. He says, after all these years, I have slaved for you. He views his life, his standing in the family in terms of his obedience. Unlike your other son, who didn't listen to you, not once did I disobey your command. And then he brings those two together in this sense of entitlement. After all I've done for you, after all that hard work, after all that obedience, you didn't even get me a small goat. You give him a fattened calf. You wouldn't even give me a little goat so I could have a party with some of my friends. And I love how Jesus has the older brother filling in a little detail for us in the story that we didn't know until now, as if he has been tracking his brother's partying days, or if he's at least heard some reports of what his brother had been up to. Notice his disdain. He doesn't even say, my brother says, this son of yours, this son of yours who devoured your property with prostitutes after all he's done to you, he gets a fattened calf? The older son resents his own obedient lifestyle that earned him no reward. And he resents his brother who's lived like a wild man and who's now welcomed home. And he resents his father for being so profoundly unfair. Again, we might expect the father to turn his back on his older son, but instead he has warm words for him. Son, you've always been with me. All that I have is yours. But it is fitting to celebrate and to be glad. Notice this, your brother was dead, is alive, was lost, is found. If you are the parent of a child who's run away from the Lord, if, you have a, if you're the parent of a child who's living in sin, 
having turned their backs on everything they ever knew and that you taught them. You want this story to be yours. You want to imagine and pray and hope that your child, your loved one, will wake up one day and come to their senses and say, what in the world am I doing this empty, hopeless life of mine? I need to turn and return to God. If you are such a parent, this story resonates with you and it fills you with hope. But as real and as powerful as this parable can be uh, to you, it is not limited in that application. Remember the setting. Remember why Jesus told these parables in the first place. Jesus is explaining his actions of eating and identifying with those who are labeled by scribes and Pharisees as sinners. And the prodigal son stands for any sinner who sees his or her emptiness and futility in their sin, who grieves over it, who hates it, who sees there's nothing ultimately in it for them, who turns from it, who turns to God with some sense of the appreh- an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ to those who repent. The prodigal son hoped, dreamed, that he might even be restored to be a servant. And the parable teaches us something about God and his extravagant mercy, his joy and his forgiveness, his receiving and welcoming back and celebrating the restoration and the return of a repentant sinner. For everything we have been seeing about forgiveness, whether it's in terms of dirt and cleanliness or weight being released or debt canceled or sins covered or forgotten or removed, Forgiveness also includes this, the restoration, the reconciliation of those who return to God. So if you're still living in sin, you need to know today that God the Father is still looking out the window, longing for a return, longing to forgive those who are broken in their sin. But do also notice how Jesus ends the parable where he does. It's a skillful touch, really. We want to know if the older son ever joins the party. Does the older brother ever make it into the house to celebrate the return of his Younger brother, we're simply not told. But get this, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus receives sinners and eats with them. This man has given his life and has been raised from the dead for our forgiveness, for our restoration, for our reconciliation. This man came to die for both kinds.
kinds of sin. He came to die for the sins of the younger brother who gets an advance on his inheritance and goes, squanders it all on life in this world, looking for love in all the wrong place, places, satisfaction, joy, and delight in everything the world had to offer until the, until the money was gone. This man came to save people like that. But this man came to receive sinners of the other kind. Those who, who look at their outward performance and they make an assessment of their obedience and they think to themselves, well, I deserve God's grace and favor. I deserve a party. Jesus says he came to save sinners and that includes people who are so settled in their self-righteousness as if to think they don't need a savior. Jesus spent his time, preoccupies himself with those who really do know they need a sinner, but it's not like he doesn't die for and is raised for the other kind as well. The older brother doesn't think he needs a savior like his other brother did, but they both do. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Which son are you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these stories that fill out for us a, another picture of what forgiveness looks like, a restoration, a reconciliation, a joyful celebration. Thank you for the gospel. Some of us here, our Father, might be inclined to look back at a life that has been wasted in sinful living. We're grateful for the forgiveness of sins. Others of us are, uh, have one loved ones we know who are currently in that state. Lord, would you by your Spirit show them the emptiness and the hollowness of their present life and have them turn back to you. But Father, many of us would more easily, I think, identify with that older brother. We would look at our service to you and our obedience, and we would imagine that we stand to receive your unmerited grace. Lord, would you strip all that self-righteousness from us? Have us lay hold of and lay claim to the perfect obedience and righteousness of Christ. We ask this in his name. And we all say together, amen. amen.